The best part of the hunting season is finally here. We've waited for this all year long. Now let's make it count with some great gear from our partners. First up, Tacticam is our title sponsor, and their point-of-view cameras are my go-to method for filming my hunts. Their new 6.0 camera has added a 1-inch LCD touchscreen that has totally changed the game for me. Its lightweight design, weatherproof housing, and one-touch operation really simplify the self-filming process and make sure that I have high-quality footage to share with my family and friends. My personal favorite for archery season is two 6.0 cameras, one on a stabilizer mount on my bow and one on a bendy clamp mount for an over-the-shoulder angle. And I pair this with a Tacticam remote so I can turn both cameras on with the push of a single button. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. Now as the temps begin to drop, I know I'll be hunting in comfort with my Huntworth camo. Huntworth is making high-quality, technical hunting clothing at a fraction of the price of other brands. This time of year, I'm making sure to layer smart. I start with a set of base layers, either the Casper or the Bangor, which I have found to be very comfortable and moisture-wicking. Next, I'll have on either my Elkins midweight top and bottom or my Saskatoon heavyweight top and bottom. Either way, I'm also going to be bringing my Saskatoon vest. And because the hunting often gets better when the weather turns nasty this time of year, the Winstead rain suit lives in my hickory pack all the time. And I can honestly say that this is the best rain suit that I have ever used. You can learn more or grab your Huntworth gear today at HuntworthGear.com. And finally, the Onyx Hunt app is an absolutely indispensable tool for me this time of year. If I'm not in the action, I'm going to be making a move to go find it. And the Onyx Hunt app helps me identify those terrain features that I want to key in on with their latest aerial imagery additions. The app now has fully functional 3D on both iOS and Android, low-resolution satellite images updated every two weeks with historic look-back, and leaf-off imagery, all in addition to the base maps that you've always had in the app. Get more out of your maps this season and know where you stand with the Onyx Hunt app. Now let's get into this week's show. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. I'm your host, Pierce Nellis, and this is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. Folks, I really hope you found time to get outside and go for a hike, maybe do some scouting, maybe you stumbled across an early drop shed, who knows. Uh, It feels like April, doesn't it? I mean, it's warm, the sun was shining yesterday, I did a little fishing. I don't know when the other shoe's gonna drop, but I will say this, it beats the heck out of shoveling snow this time of year. But we're not here to talk about that this week. Uh, As I'm sure you've all heard, our state, has proposed a bill that would prohibit the harvest of does for the next four years in the northern forest region. Rather than freak out and fuel the widespread panic around this topic, I decided to call in an expert and was fortunate enough to have an awesome conversation with outdoor writer and author Paul Anir. Paul has been writing about whitetail since 2014 and has published articles in Deer and Deer Hunting, North American Whitetail Magazine, Bowhunting.com, National Deer Association, Midwest Whitetail, and many others. He's an extremely thoughtful and well-spoken guy, and in this week's episode, we dive into everything you need to know about this proposed bill, including some of the major causes of the herd decline in the Northwoods and what the deer management process looks like in Wisconsin. After that, we look at the opposite issue in the southern half of the state where we have too many deer, steadily increasing numbers of CWD, 
and the restrictions that the DNR has to operate within as they work to manage the deer population in a highly diverse state. Really, if one thing is certain, it's that Wisconsin is an extremely difficult and unique state to manage due to such diverse landscapes that we're lucky to have, but none of our problems are simply black or white, and none of them have a clear answer. So I'm going to leave it at that because I don't want to uh, spoil the episode here because I think it's a really great one. I think you're going to learn a lot. Um, Paul is an awesome guest, and he just has a really, really deep knowledge of the subject. Um, So be sure to go check out Paul's work in the various publications I mentioned before. He's an awesome writer and has some fantastic articles out there on a wide variety of topics. You'll definitely learn a thing or two from reading those articles and hearing his thoughts in this episode as well. So with that, let's get on to the episode. All right, folks, this week I've got Mr. Paul Anir uh, on the line from, I mean, I it's a long list of publications here, man. Bowhunting.com, Deer and Deer Hunting, NDA, Legendary Whitetails. I saw an article from Outdoor Life. Man, you've you've been writing a lot. How's it going? It's going good, man. Thanks for having me on, Pierce. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming yeah, on. Yeah, happy to be with you. Awesome. Likewise, I'm, I'm glad to have you. And uh, well, folks, tonight we're going to solve all of uh, the state's deer problems, right, Paul? <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll probably hit some hot button issues and uh, get some hate mail, actually. But yeah, we'll try. <laughs> yeah. Comes with the territory. Comes with the territory. Um, right. So I kind of alluded to it there, Paul, off the bat. You're an outdoor writer um, who's written for a number of publications. Could you kind of tell us a little bit of, um, you know, how you got into writing and just sort of um, the story of, you know, what really made you want to write about deer? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like, uh, you know, we were talking um, offline, but uh, yeah, I started writing back in like 2014, 2015. Um, Really just kind of wanted to get my ideas down on paper somewhere and uh approached um you know legendary whitetails they're more known as the clothing brand um and you know approached them and was like hey you know i have a couple ideas i want to write about would you guys happen to um, have any room for articles on your guys's community page um in their uh, blog section and they're like yeah sure so they uh accepted a few of my articles way back in 2014 um and then it kind of snowballed from there i approached uh, midwest whitetail um, and the guys working there, um, everybody knows now, <laughs> but they were interns uh, working. You know, Eric Barber works at uh, Vortex now. He was uh, he was working there. Aaron Warbritton, um, you know, Greg, uh, all those guys, they were working there. And uh, Bill's like, yeah, sure, you know, I'll uh, accept a few of your articles. And um, they ended up being published kind of on the Wisconsin regional page. And then a few of them made the homepage because um, Bill really liked them and, and whatnot. So that's kind of how I cut my teeth in, in writing was just honestly just being really aggressive and reaching out to people and, and kind of just really coming at them with good ideas. And, uh, you know, I've told Bill this in person and over email many times, but he's, um, you know, really, I guess, kind of responsible for me, you know, getting a start in the industry. You know, it's this, the hunting industry is such a small a small crowd. And, uh, as soon as you get that in with somebody, um, you know, you have to kind of foster that relationship and, and really work hard without expecting much in return. Right. And Bill was very great to, uh, let me write articles for the website that kind of helped me build up a resume. Um, so then 2015, 2016 and 17 
reached out to more websites and magazines, um, developed some good relationships with people and, uh, you know, came at them with, I guess, you know, really good ideas that were, um, you kind of spin them in different ways. I mean, there's so many articles out there, um, how to this, how to that, but you, you really got to just get creative and think of it. Um, think of those ideas in a new light and, uh, and that's kind of what I did. And, you know, people started accepting them and, uh, and yeah, here we are. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm, what I do on the side for, uh, for work. Um, not my full-time job, but I really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy the, the news reporting type of stuff, um, probably right. more than the how-to stuff these days. Um, right. So it's good. Right. Awesome, man. I love it. It's such a cool story. And I, I, I love hearing how everyone gets, you know, kind of gets their foot in the door and, um, you know, just gains traction and stuff to to get where they're at today. It's a phenomenal story. Um, so you're a Wisconsin native, correct? Yep. Born and raised in Southwest Wisconsin. And I now, um, I live up in, uh, just outside of Green Bay. Got it. Awesome. And so Jesus. clearly, you know, a thing or two about deer. Um, you know, you've, you've written a lot for them. Uh, a lot of folks by this point have probably heard that a bill has recently been proposed that would essentially ban doe harvest in the northern forest region of the state. We're just going to dive right in, man. From your experience, has this kind of been a long time coming, or do you think this is kind of out of the blue? Well, it's interesting, right? Because like mm -hmm. this is, uh, it obviously gained, you know, huge, you know, national attention, I guess, last week, essentially. And when I yeah. saw uh, that was happening. I, you know, immediately I, I emailed Brody Swisher at bowhunting.com and I was like, Hey man, I got to write an article about this. He's like, yep, go for it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> great article, nothing, by the way, folks, go check it out. Thanks. <laughs> um, but really it's nothing, the idea is nothing new. Um, because, you know, starting in, I guess you kind of have to go back to the mid 2000s and late 2000s and early 2010s. So the Northwoods of Wisconsin is thought of as, you know, kind of the charm of Wisconsin, right? Everybody's mm -hmm. got a cabin up north, the deer camp. I mean, you think, you know, flannel shirts up north, <laughs> blaze orange, like all right. that stuff. It's just quintessential up north deer hunting. And then 2013 rolled around and they had um, a really severe winter. Um, I'm looking at it right now here. So in 2013, the winter severity index was the highest it's ever been recorded. And so Wisconsin has this winter severity index where essentially every day that has 18 inches of snow on the ground and where it reaches a temperature of zero or below, there's a scoring system. And they add two points for every time those two conditions occur. And 2013 was super, super severe. And honestly, yeah, I mean, the Northwoods is really yet to recover. Um, Obviously, the wolf population has you know steadily increased, um, and after 2013, the DNR um, the, they started splitting up the D, the deer management units, the DMUs, and now it's just you know the five or four units, whatever it is, southern farmland, central yeah. forest, uh, you know all that stuff that we know today. But um, you know back in I think it was let me see here. Um, Back in 2015, seven of the 18 northern forest uh, zone counties could harvest those. In 2016, only nine of them 
could harvest those 2019. So, you know, there was, there's been some buck only seasons before. Right. And uh, I, now it's just kind of hit that tipping point where, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, gray wolves got enlisted because the California judge decided that they, you know, need to be on the endangered species list. And so now, you know, right. wolf hunting is out the door um, as we know it right now, because a judge in California said so. So that's, <laughs> um, as you sense the sarcasm, that's obviously, I mean, that's a problem, right? Yep. Um, people, you know, you know, thousands of miles removed from the situation, making management decisions for people that's affecting, you know, really, I mean, the deer hunting up North, it's affecting the economy. I mean, people are truly leaving, um, Northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, North, the UP of Michigan. I mean, they're leaving those areas to go lease out in Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Kentucky, Indiana. I mean, all those hot spots. Um, I talk to them every day. Um, those people aren't, I mean, they're going up North to, you know, go boating in the summer, but come deer season, I mean, they're, they're out of there. They're, they're not going up there anymore. Um, they're leasing out areas and other whitetail hotspots. And now those states are, you know, seeing the influx of hunters, but going back to the Northwoods, I mean, yeah, it's not a new idea doing this doe, uh, no, no doe hunting. Um, you know, the ban on doe hunting, it's not a new idea, but right. of course, having all the zones not be able to harvest does for four straight years would be, um, would be really drastic. And so I, I mean, I see where they're coming from, but I, I, and then, you know, everybody, everybody says, well, what about wolves? Um, and there's really not much you can say about it because, um, there's no hunting right now. Uh, back in October, they did present like a wolf management plan. And I know there's another bill, um, coming soon. That's going to probably, it, basically what it's going to do for my understanding is it's going to require the DNR to come up with a, with a quota with like a set number of, you know, we're going to harvest this many wolves yep. if they get delisted. So they want to be prepared. If the gray wolf gets delisted, they want to be able to have a management plan in place um, to avoid, you know, uh, you know, just frustration from the public and whatnot. They want to be prepared for it, but right. um yeah, I mean, no doe hunting in the Northwoods. I, I look at it a couple ways. Um, I think it's kind of a Band-Aid policy for something that really can't be, you know, the habitat, I, I'll say it this, this way, I guess. I think there's a habitat problem up north as well, besides a, yeah. um, a predator problem, bear problem, wolf problem, coyotes, whatever you want to say. Um you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if people are managing their properties quite like they were back in the heyday of, you know, mm-hmm. the 80s, 90s, 2000s of, you know, traditional up north deer hunting. So I look at it where, you know, hey, is everybody really doing what they could be doing to their property up north to increase fawn survival, deer survival, creating browse in the woods to help deer get through winters, all that stuff. And I, you know, I understand you can't, um, you can't cut down your entire timber every winter to help deer survive from browse. Right. Um, but I, I look at this policy or, the, you know, this bill as kind of a, a bandaid for the greater problem of, you know, I don't, I don't know that that's, that's going to solve everything. And, um, I talked to, you know, I reached out to people on, uh, on Instagram who contributed to the article and they see plenty of deer up North. 
And then there's some people who say, I see no deer. You know, it could be from Vilas County over to Iron County to Barron County. It just, it varies so much um, from what hunters see. And there's, you know, there's people that reached out to me as well that were really concerned about um, youth hunters and the opportunity for them. Um, yeah. You know, you, you'd go tell a, tell a nine-year-old who's uh, just starting deer hunting this year that he can't shoot a doe for four years that's going to, that's not going to sit very well. Right. Obviously we're all at, we all like to shoot bucks and that's great and fun. But, um, you know, if, if you're only seeing those, that's, uh, that's a problem. Um, and so it, it really, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what actually happens. And if it, if it goes through, I know, you know, the comments on social media have been, uh, all over the place. And of course they all kind of come back to predators and, and whatnot, but there's, you know, people don't really understand that the DNR can't really do much about that. It's, it's federal, they're federally controlled, um, and hunting, you know, it's not allowed with, for, with wolves right now. So it's, it's a really tricky situation. I look at, I look at Wisconsin as, as one of the more difficult states to manage deer in. Um, yeah. you know, I always like to try to try to defend the DNR a little bit. I know those guys over there and I'm on the, the County Deer Advisory um, council board in Brown County, where I live. I keep in touch with, uh, Southwest Wisconsin County deer advisory councils pretty, uh, pretty heavily too. Um, and the DNR is put in a really tough position because they can't change these laws overnight. Um, a lot of this stuff has to go through legislation. You look at, uh, earn a buck back in the late nineties and then through the two thousands. And then up until when it was signed out of law in 2011, that's, you know, that wasn't the DNR that was, uh, you know, Scott Walker signed it out of law because it was, it was a really contentious, uh, deer management program and it was unpopular at the time. Now Wisconsin, you know, in the Southern half of the County has so many deer, um, that it's, it, it would be a really nice option to be able to implement on a yearly basis. Right. We can't. Um, so, you know, I like to defend the DNR a little bit and, uh, going back to what I was saying about, you know, comments on social media, it's all oh, the DNR, this DNR, that with the wolves and all that. And, you know, <laughs> I like to remind people they're not, you know, the DNR really can't do much about that until they uh, get delisted. Right. Um, uh, Wisconsin's a really tricky state to manage because you have, you know, the Northern half of the state, I mean, it's, it's just, there's predators, big wood, big timber, you know, not a lot of egg, southern half of the state, less predators, hilly, rich soil, looks a little bit more like Iowa, that type of stuff. So it's a super, super unique state to manage deer. Right. Um, and I, you know, I like to tell people to, you know, give the DNR a little bit of a break here. I know there's, there's policies out there that, that nobody likes, but gosh, they're, they're tasked with managing, managing a really difficult state. Um, there's just so much going on. And obviously, you know, this, um, proposal to ban doe hunting is just another uh, another hot contentious topic uh, on the table. Right, man. There's so many things I want to dive into there. Um, it, I mean, you, you're abs you're absolutely right. Like you, I, I mean, I think the. So I guess I'll start off with this. I didn't realize that they had done buck only seasons for specific counties in the past and that this isn't a totally new thing um i don't think i'm alone in that presumption 
Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what years those were uh, being done or anything, but it seems like right now the, I mean, the big outrage and the big, uh, well, outrage, that's what it is. Um, everyone's freaking out because, I mean, the majority of articles out there, not yours, but the majority of uh, articles out there that people see or the stuff that everyone saw on social media last week was, you know, Wisconsin bans doe hunting because, you know, they're trying to get clicks. They want people to, you know, see all that stuff, right? No doubt. It doesn't sound like <clears throat> it's a completely ridiculous strategy, though. I think a big a big cause for concern, um, I was discussing this with a, a buddy of mine um, earlier today, is why are we having a bill being proposed or pushed forward to ban doe harvest? And why is it not the DNR making this call or the, you know, the county deer advisory councils, you know, collaborating to make these calls? Why is it going straight to, you know, being written as a bill? Do you think that's left over from sort of Walker's, um, I guess the, I mean, him signing it into law that earn a buck was going to be done. Is that kind of, did that sort of change yeah. the way that deer management has been looked at in the state? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, right? Cause we were talking offline about this. It's really, it's, it's very confusing how the DNR gets to work and decide these definitions of laws. Right. They have the definition change, you know, let's take, let's take this for example, baiting. They have the ability to put, language in the regulations to decide what baiting is mm -hmm. so right now the language is baiting is you know feed baiting like corn what you'd think of as traditional baiting if they were to add water into the definition of baiting only then could water holes and stuff like that get banned so sure. it's a really interesting process the way that the dnr um based on their wording then it can kind of get implemented um, or, you know, banned or looked at differently or whatever. So it's, it's really interesting the way, um, the legislature works, um, alongside deer management. I, and I don't fully understand all of that either, but yes, um, you know, it, the politics of, of deer, I think really got out of control once CWD and, uh, Ernebach and all that stuff and all these laws started getting implemented, um, you know, it's only skyrocketed from there. And of course the, you know, the popularity of social media now, everything spread so quickly and there's right. so many knee-jerk reactions to everything. But yeah, going back to what you're saying, you're totally right. Um, you're not alone in knowing that, you know, this, uh, the buck only counties have happened before. I mean, like I said, back in 2015, uh, seven counties were buck only in 2016, nine of them were buck only. Um, so that means, you know, those counties couldn't harvest does back in, you know, 2015, 2016. So this right. is the idea of banning doe harvest is nothing new. Um, and if people aren't aware, Wisconsin has a county deer advisory council for all 72 counties. It's a, the CDAC is what it's called. And it's made up, I'm on one um, in Brown County. Um, yeah. And it's made up of citizens, basically citizens that help the DNR decide quotas and the number of antlerless tags to hand out when you buy a license. Like if you buy a license in Dane County, you might get 
two free doe tags or Brown County, you might get four, uh, four free doe tags. Uh, right. The CDACs, County Deer Advisory Councils are the ones that help determine that. And so um, if people are familiar with the CDACs, they might remember Wapaka County, I think Door County back in like 2018, almost did a doe only season. So the complete opposite of what we're talking about. This is yeah. this is how difficult Wisconsin is to manage. <laughs> there were so many does in Wapaka County, so many does in, in Dora County that they, the CDAC initially proposed doing um, antlerless only hunting all season, all weapons. So no bucks could be harvested because they had so many, they thought they had so many deer that they wanted to send the message to the citizens of the county to say, hey, no one's harvesting any does anymore. We're going to propose that that's the only thing you can shoot this year. You can't shoot bucks. Um, so the state has just kind of been all over the place with, uh, with what's going on. I mean, we have so many, so many deer in certain pockets of the state, hardly any deer in other pockets of the state. I know Iron County is, is you know, basically devoid of deer in certain areas. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's a really tricky state to manage. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this bill really uh really set things off and um and and you're right like going back to what you said it's not a completely ridiculous proposal right i mean mm-hmm. we kind of the writing on the wall is something's got to happen we can't right. hunt bear um there's an estimated 25,000 bears in the state and it was a really down year for bear hunting because people aren't you know, I didn't know this that I wasn't aware of this that long ago, but um, bears, they, they love acorns. I didn't really know that they rummage through the woods eating acorns, but they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year with a huge, uh, huge acorn crop, the bear yeah. harvest was down. They weren't moving like they normally would come into bait sites um, and whatnot. So there's bears, wolves, um, really hard state to manage. And, right. uh, and you know, it's a, it's a really hot topic right now. Um, and it's not a completely ridiculous proposal. I mean, the bear, uh, the, uh, the deer population needs to rebound somehow. And, um, you know, four years of no doe harvesting would, I can't imagine it would do anything but bolster it a little bit. Um, obviously there's, uh, there's wolves out there that are, you know, wolves and coyotes and bears that are certainly going to contribute to, um, you know, fawn predation and whatnot. So, right. um, it's been, get signed into law it'll be really interesting to uh get some firsthand feedback from people that that hunt in areas where they you know typically aren't seeing a lot of deer right now right and that's where it's kind of surprising that there hasn't been and i'm sure it's coming right down the pipe but there hasn't been that much outrage from the local um you know hunters and i'm not sure if you've been hearing a lot up by you know in, in your northern part of the state or not but um, it seems like this is, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that this bill came around from people complaining about how, um, you know, they're not, they're not seeing all that many deer. And so politicians probably were like, all right, well, let's stop hunting them for a while and we'll revisit, you know, in a few years. You mentioned earlier yep. that habitat up there is not what it used to be back in the 80s and 90s, right? And I'm not sure, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Is that due to the number of 
acres that are protected from being logged. Um, and I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts too. Do you think the politicians proposing the, this bill to ban hunting, would they be in favor to hearing some sort of an alternative? And I get, we don't know who exactly they are. Maybe you do. I'm not, I don't, um, you know, mm -hmm. would they be interested in conversing about, well, what if instead of banning doe harvest, would you be in support of improving timber harvest and, you know, trying to create more habitat that way? Cause back in the day when they were doing all that logging, I mean, that's why the deer hunting up there was so great, right? It was because there was all this stuff on the ground creating thick cover for them to bed, hide from bears, hide from, I guess there, were, there weren't wolves back then, but, um, you know, hide from predators at the very least, stay warm in the winter and all that stuff. It seems like this is kind of just jumping the gun. And like you said, it's a Band-Aid to a much larger problem. For sure. Yeah, I mean, like going back to the habitat thing, um, you know, I it's hard to quantify this, right? It's hard to get a, a hard number on it. But honestly, mm -hmm. you know, I think it goes back to what I said earlier. I think a lot of these Northwoods hunters are just after the winter of 2013, it was just so severe, deep snow, cold temperatures, they lost a ton of deer. And then the wolf population at the same time, just it didn't skyrocket, but it steadily increased. And we right. estimated have like a thousand wolves right now in Wisconsin. That's estimated right around a thousand, mm -hmm. probably not a perfect number, but, um, and I think people up and just kind of left. I mean, sure, they might go up there for opening weekend of gun hunting, but for hardcore bow hunters and whatnot, I mean, they're a lot of them are just done with the Northwoods. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I talk to them all the time. I mean, they're uh, they're leasing out ground in, in those other prime whitetail states where they stand a chance at, uh, at seeing more deer and more quality bucks. Um, and I think because of that, um, a lot of the ground uh, gets neglected up there. I can't say that for certain but i know for sure that has happened but i, I don't i can't say for certain how much that happened right. um but i speak i talk to those hunters all the time i mean they you know they go up and do their summer activities at their at their lake house or the cabin and the hunting land but i mean for hardcore bow hunters they're i mean they're, they're just not going to put the time in to to do that everybody has a trail camera now and a cell camera yeah. um and they you know it's pretty easy to find out if you have deer or not and uh and I will, I will say the 2013, uh, 2023, uh, deer season, just this past year season was a really weird one. Um, I've talked to so many people that just, they can't really put their finger on why this deer season was so odd. And it was really weird for me too. I don't know if it was, but we had some warm temperatures, um, at the end of October, we did have a nice cold front, but then we did kind of have just a, you know, up and down temperatures. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if other factors contributed to that with the moon phase, acorns, whatever it was. It was just a weird, weird deer season. And I've heard right. that from so many. Um, so clearly something, whether, you know, I, I kind of chalk it up to acorns and, um, and that I, I typically don't like to just point a finger and say, you know, that's the reason why deer weren't moving, but um, I'll be really curious to see if we, you know, after a bumper crop of acorns last year, I, I doubt we'll have that same bumper crop this year. Right. Um, with the rotation of acorn and mass production, but it'll be really interesting to see if things bounce back a little bit. And of course, it was a warmer opening day of gun season, which never helps. There was no snow. Um, and so, you know, a lot of this stuff is, uh, is kind of a, a knee jerk reaction 
for the, you know, for the Southern half of the state, it's kind of like, a, you know, what the heck is going on, but hopefully right. next year we'll see things kind of normalize a little bit again, but for up North, I mean, it's been, this is an ongoing issue and these things have been going on for a long time. Right. The Northwoods of Wisconsin used to be, you know, the destination deer hunting for Wisconsin, like you said. So, um, you know, it would be, it would, you know, it really comes down to private land ownership. I mean, what Iowa is like 98% private Wisconsin is I think maybe 88%. I think I knew these numbers at one point exactly. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure those are pretty close to the numbers and all these, you know, all the prime whitetail States are, you know, 80, 90% private. So in the end, it's going to come down to private landowners deciding, you know, whether they want to create better habitat for the deer or not. And, you know, I'm sure. not up there walking people's properties all the time and, and seeing what they're doing, but, um, yeah, I mean, your, uh, your comment about logging earlier, I think, is probably a good one. I mean, you know, it's essentially timber stand improvement, right? I mean, yeah. sure, you're high grading for um, for valuable timber, but um, in the process of doing that, you're opening up the canopy and producing a lot of sunlight to the forest floor. And, you know, I don't know if – I'm sure there's still plenty of logging that goes on up there, but um, it's not just, on the scale uh, that it used to. Yeah. Yeah. We're in an interesting place right now with, you know, we were talking offline before recording here about technology, how that's playing a role, um, you know, Onyx and all the mapping applications and trail cameras. Everybody knows what they have on their property. And if they don't have what they want, they're going to leave. And they're going to go lease properties. They're going to go buy properties in those prime whitetail states. Um, you, you know, nobody really wants anything to do with the Northwoods right now. It's, it's really sad. Um, I hope the herd can rebound. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what I think about this bill, right? Because there's a lot of positives and negatives to uh, to doing something like this. It, it doesn't really touch on the predators at all. Um, and uh, the herd, sure, it might increase a little bit, but <laughs> where's the, you know, where's the major problem lie? Um, right. You know, and I, I get some of the traditional hunting methods. I mean, you know, I think hardcore bow hunting, um, nobody does any deer drives anymore. Not that you mm -hmm. do it for bow hunting, but just, you know, in general, people aren't uh, pressuring their deer like they used to. They're ultra quiet. They're trying to sneak in. They're, they're not trying to booger up their property. They stop going into their property after, you know, August 15th or August 30th, whatever it is, you know, yeah. no more family ride TVs through it. I mean, it's just, everybody's so protective of their deer these days and you know, that's fine. If, if it's their land, they can do what they want. But I think, uh, you know, trail cameras and bow hunting and, uh, uh, and all that is kind of, it's not that we've lost the, the charm and the sportsmanship of hunting, but we've almost, we're, we're, we're on pins and needles all the time. Right. Yeah. Like when we go out to the, and um, we're trying not to bump stuff because we know, I just got a picture of him last night. He was in this bedding area. He could come through today, all that stuff. And so I think a little bit of that contributes to some of these down numbers that we've seen too. Obviously, Wisconsin and you know the nation, um, we're losing deer hunters. Clearly, yeah. I mean, the numbers say that, the recreation numbers. Um, I was just looking at uh, some of the statistics coming out of Michigan um, the other day. It was really interesting. Um, the average age of a Michigan licensed buyer was 45 in 2022 mm. and only 
I think it was uh, only 10% of their licensed purchasers were 18 years old or younger. Only 10%. No kidding. Um, and so some of those things are really concerning as well. Um, mm-hmm. When you get, you know, the state of the Northwoods and the state of just deer hunting in general, um, you know, we're in, a, we're in a great place with, um, with some areas and then, you know, <laughs> Northern Wisconsin, Northern Minnesota, we're, uh, we're, you know, not in such a great place. So it's, uh, like I said, it's a really tricky state to manage and they got a lot of the, the DNR and, you know, and state legislatures and all that. They have a lot of stuff on their plate. Um, and it's a difficult job. Right. Yeah. No kidding. It's really concerning about the Michigan only having 10% of, uh, you know, youth hunters or, you know, sub 18, um, hunters. That's wild. A couple months ago, we had, uh, Robert Rosenberger on, um, from, he's a former, uh, deputy with the DNR, but he said that Michigan, uh, there was a study that came out not that long ago, uh, but Michigan would, it was predicting that in the next 20 years, I believe it was, don't quote me on that. Maybe go, go back and listen to the episode folks. He'll have it right. But I think it was the next 20 years, um, Michigan won't have any small game hunters because just the the decline and the rate that they're losing small game hunters over there, um, you know, they're, they're just predicting that it's going to disappear, you know, in the not too distant future. Um, I love that you brought up cell cameras, the, the way people are hunting um, being so much different than it was back, you know, when folks were doing deer drives, because you're absolutely right. Everybody's got, you know, cell cams or trail cameras, or they're being, you know, they're <laughs> hiking into pull SD cards and they've got hip waders on, so they don't leave any scent anywhere or whatever it may be. Um, and just the whole culture and strategy and uh, just the tactics of deer hunting have changed so much in the last, I mean, 15, 20 years, it seems, um, compared to what they used to be. And you're right. I'm not sure if it's, I mean, as I was listening to you say it, my gut reaction was like, ooh, that's not good. And the first thing that came to mind was like, you know, growing up, you talk to talk to grandpa and he he'll tell you you know where you should go and you know what you screwed up if you didn't do something right or whatever or here's what you need to do next time you go in the field all that kind of stuff i'm worried that in you know 20 years grandpa's going to be saying well he showed up on this camera i've got pictures of him here and so because he was here and i got another you know my phone went off in the middle of the night uh i know he's back here now and so uh Son, why don't you why don't you get yeah. back there and you'll see if you can get them? You're right. Like it's it's a completely different yeah. one, just learning yeah. curve, but two, I mean, just mentality when entering the woods. I'm curious what your thoughts are on all of this technology entering hunting. Like, do you think overall it's I mean, we said off air, we don't think it's uh well, these days it's it's never been easier to kill a deer, right? You've got so much information at your fingertips. Do you think all of this technology is hurting or harming us as hunters? Yeah, it's really tricky, right? Because mm-hmm. people like us, me and you, I mean, I'm 34 years old and I grew up with, we kind of grew up as the technology grew up, right? So mm-hmm. um, 
you know, and people that are just getting into hunting now, say they're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, whatever they're, I mean, they're full on technology. They got all sorts of trail cameras, cell cameras in the woods. Um, and that's just the way of life for hunting right now. They've never known anything different. Right. Whereas you and I, you know, we maybe kind of got a, a little bit of a taste of what it was like pre-trail cameras, all that's pre-mapping application before any of that stuff came out. Um, so it's really hard to say whether it's a good or a bad thing. I think, I think here's where it's really bad is where people, you know, say there's a 25, you know, 25 year old guy out there, you know, 20 year old, whatever, who brand new to bow hunting, hasn't ever shot a buck, maybe shot, uh, maybe shot a couple does or something, but they're hunting at a buddy's place and we'll just say in Iowa or Illinois, whatever it is along the river, super rich soil, big bucks. A deer comes by during the rut. It's a three or four year old. Obviously it would be that person's first buck. Um, but the landowner or the buddy is like, Hey, yep. You know, if you see this deer, don't shoot it, whatever. We got to let it go. That's where, and be, because they got a million trail camera pictures of it. Right. And they know right. it could be a really good deer here. I think that's where it's a problem because they, you know, they're going to pass that deer when it would be like a first buck and obviously a really nice buck, maybe 125, 140 inch buck, whatever a three or four year old would be in that area. Yep. I think that's where it gets tricky, right? Because you do that for two or three years, you buy all this expensive gear you go get ready to bow hunt and you don't even shoot anything. Um, right. And I know that because I talk to those people all the time. And so I think that's where the technology can be really tricky, right? It's like back in the nineties or two thousands, I mean, 90% of hunters were going to shoot that um, and be super stoked about it. But because we have trail cameras and we know everything that's out there, um, it can be, you know, can not work in our favor. On the flip side, trail cameras are excellent for keeping an eye on habitat projects, keeping in, keeping an eye on the health of the herd, the, the numbers of the deer herd, all that stuff. Awesome. I mean, trail cameras contribute to, uh, um, to some great things that are happening out there in the hunting world. And also, you know, on the flip side um, of, you know, the hunting aspect of it, a lot of trail cameras are saving deer too, uh, because it, like I said, they're saving deer because they're, you know, passing those deer and right. not wanting to shoot them until they're a little bit older. Um, so in that sense, trail cameras are, uh, you know, they're saving a lot of deer and also, um, yeah, I mean that, that information from cell cameras that can, it can most definitely help you kill a deer. I mean, I, uh, back in 2021, I had pictures of a really like a pretty heavy eight pointer, um, a couple nights in a row. And then one of the nights I hunted, I saw him, he was chasing a doe a couple hundred yards away, went back in the next morning in that same location. I ended up killing him. Um, and I was getting pretty consistent trail camera photos of him. I mean, no doubt trail cameras, um, the cell cams contributed to me killing that deer. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, I don't think that was one of those ethical things where it was like, Hey, you know, he's, I just got a picture of him at 10 AM. I'm going out at two o'clock and I'm going to go in that spot. I mean, that's where it's, that's where that line is. It's so, it's such a gray area of you know, ethical hunting versus using trail cameras to uh to still have fun and uh 
it's it's really tricky so um right. you know in technology it's it's advanced so much and you know we everybody likes to pick on cell cameras and kind of um bash those for you know the ethical side of things but goodness i mean mapping applications and all that um being able to zoom in on do timber layers and crop layers and all sorts of stuff that you can do in these mapping applications now i mean i don't want to pick on them but i'm just saying um some of that i think is is really high tech too and that's helping to kill a lot of deer as well don't right. you know don't don't be fooled by that um you know these mapping applications are so high tech and you can uh see everything with them that gosh i mean it's we have everything at our disposal right now and uh i don't know if we're all having more fun than we were in the early 2000s or 90s you know i that'd be a right. really good search you know i'd love to know that or you know we're killing bigger and better deer than we've ever killed in the history of north american whitetail hunting um but are we actually happier i i don't know i can't can't answer that question but it's something to consider and uh and certainly think about so i think each person has that um you know that area where they don't want to cross into um that's kind of on that is it ethical is it not um i use trail camp i use mapping applications i plant food plots i do all that stuff i want to kill big deer just as much as the next guy but we also have to think of the future and kind of kind of where we want hunting to go but it's all uh those are all really tricky subjects just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the Sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, tacticam.com and share your hunt with tacticam right and as you're saying all that and you had so many good points there as you're saying all that my mind's jumping to what impact is social media having on hunting as well because if guys weren't on facebook trying to get a buck every year so they can change their profile picture or not you know or have something to you know throw on instagram or you know, create video content for YouTube, whatever, whatever it may be. I feel like, I mean, everyone's aware of it, whether they're, they're willing to say it or not. It's impacting the deer that some people are shooting, right? They want to have something that, well, when I, you know, post this or when I send pictures to my buddies, it's got to be bigger than last year. It's got to be, you know, I've got, buck a b and c and i'm not going to shoot a or b but if c comes by he's toast and i saw a and b run past my stand three times this season and i didn't shoot him because i was holding out for c um you know it makes you wonder like back in the day before social media when guys would go out and hey saw forky and 
let it rip. Or I saw a little six point or a little basket eight and I let it rip. Cause I was, you know, we were doing a big group deer drive and that yeah. was that I didn't, I didn't care. Nobody was going to see it except everyone, you know, people who I was hunting with or people who come to my house and they see it, you know, hung on the wall, whatever it may be. It makes you wonder if that's also factoring into like how people manage deer and it seems like over time, or I guess in, in recent time, there's been a lot of kind of fluctuation and transition as the image of what hunting correctly looks like, right? And Oh, for sure. It seems like everyone's got their own definition of it, depending on, you know, and it's all regional stuff too, right? I mean, like, like it seems like, you know, the, the Northwoods guys, back in the the 80s and 90s they hunted a heck of a lot differently than uh you know folks in Iowa did I'm assuming or you know Illinois or what have you it really just makes you wonder yeah. though like you're right i mean just how how do we balance this this technology to still have fun cuz like man this fall i went out and i explored totally new public this year I didn't have a single trail camera out there. Uh, the first morning I hiked all the way in to the tree that I had, you know, I went out there and scouted in September went back in first week in November. And I realized after hiking like three quarters of a mile in, I had forgotten to put my tree saddle on before hiking. And so I was like, are you kidding oh, no. me? And I hiked all the way back. I was in there perfectly like a half hour before first light, hiked all the way back, left my crap at the base of the tree, got in there just after first light, realized the tree wasn't going to work anyways, hiked 30 yards, you know, down this little draw, or I guess around the lip of this draw and looked across and saw a really nice buck. And I spent the rest of my bow season trying to pinpoint where that buck was at with no trail cameras and got super close and didn't, you know, didn't get a shot at him. But man, that was some of the most fun I've had hunting in years. And so it makes you wonder, yeah. you know, when we don't have all the answers and we're just out there figuring it out for ourselves, is that not the best way to go about it? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree. And I, my message to a lot of people that are just kind of starting out hunting, it's not like I'm some, you know, 30, 40 year vet of hunting yet. I'm, I'm only 34, but my advice is just get on blood trails. Like you mm -hmm. got to shoot deer, you know, you, you have got to shoot deer. There is no substitution for live practice on a deer. I mean, if you want to be right. a big butt killer, you got to shoot deer. And yeah. that means you got to shoot some one and two year olds and work your way up to three and four year olds eventually, then so be it. Shoot some does. I, I shoot usually the first doe that walks by every single year, whether that my first sit is, you know, September 15th on opening morning or whether it's, uh, you know, mid October, usually that first doe that I see, I'm going to take her. And I've had really good luck doing that. And I typically only take a doe if it's 25 yards and under. Um, and I've, uh, I've had, you know, because of that, a lot of good success when bucks come by, I have, I've really never, well, I, back in 2016, I, I shoulder shot one and, and kind of botched that. But other than that, I've had really good luck and I, I, you know, knock on wood, haven't wounded many deer at all because right. I, uh, I wait for ethical shots and I, I practice and practice means shooting does, um, <laughs> or, or bucks that you, you know, I, you gotta be happy with, 
the end result, but, um, you know, there's something to be said about gaining experience. You know, if, if that new hunter is out there, like my example earlier, that new hunter out there in Iowa on his buddy's property, never shot a buck and 130 inch deer walks by, he passes it. And then, you know, the big one shows up at 170, he's going to be shaking in his boots, you know, I mean, right. um, you might not make that shot. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, social media and, you know, we all unfortunately feel this sort of pressure to, to kill a big buck every year. And I've honestly, I've kind of gotten, just kind of gotten over that a little bit. I, uh, you know, I have three young kids at home this year. I didn't get to hunt much, um, shot a couple does. I passed some younger deer that I, um, you know, I was kind of looking for that next age class. Like we, you know, kind of, I'm that person that I've, uh, I, I was that person that we're kind of bashing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I didn't shoot those bucks. Um, but it really, it's a game of just, uh, how many times can you get out hunting and hunt on good days and in good spots? I mean, and if you do that, um, you likely get a chance at a really good buck, um, on that property if they're around. Uh, but every time I've had, you know, opportunities to put in the time I've, you know, I've, I've killed bucks, but, um, yeah, we all unfortunately kind of feel some sort of pressure to kill deer now that we all have Instagram and TikTok accounts and Facebook and, um, you know, you working with this podcast and me being, you know, in the outdoor industry writing and, and working for Cuddy Back and all that, we, we kind of feel this pressure, unfortunately. And it, it you know, sometimes you just got to go back to, go back to the roots. I mean, of why we do this, right. I mean, that's why all of us, in the hunting industry are here because we all started hunting uh, because we love it and because we love getting outside. We love enjoying these uh, these things, and so it's important to kind of have that that perspective as well. Right, absolutely. I love what you said there too about the best practice is shooting deer because there's really there's no substitute for it. You can shoot as many blocks as you want. You can go to as many 3D shoots as you want. But until you've got to watch that target and you've got to settle it, you know, with a less yep. than perfect angle yep. and you got to see which way there's their, you know, is their leg forward yeah. or back? Is their head up or down? Does she seem on edge? Like that's how you excel as a hunter and work your way through the 100%. Curve. And, you know, as the years go by, the number one challenge to bow hunting is knowing when to draw your bow. That yeah. is my number one thing I look for when I'm setting up a tree stand where are the deer going to be coming from and how can I get my bow drawn back? <laughs> Am I 16 feet off the ground? Am I 22 feet off the ground? Do I have a double trunk tree in front of me? All this stuff. I don't hunt with a crossbow. I'm not against crossbows, but I'll just say that the number one challenge bow hunting to me is knowing when to draw your bow. And that is, that's the number one challenge. And that's the number one best feeling when you finally get drawn back and you settle in the pin on the chest hairs that i mean that's what we all live for right and so you know the more you you do that and you feel um the shot process on a live deer um the more successful you're going to be when you have Mm -hmm. those big deer in range um it's just i i encourage people to to shoot does and uh and work their way up and kind of uh you know, do it that way. There, there's truly no substitution. Um, that, that's, that's the number one challenge of bow hunting is, is knowing when to draw your bow. Right. Um, but so it's, you know, you have, you have this super wary animal that is 
paranoid of everything within 20 yards and you have to try to draw your bow and spread your arms across like a five foot, uh, make like a big five foot wingspan in front of a deer. I mean, that's, right. that's really difficult when you do it. And when you accomplish it, it's a great feeling. And every, every deer that's killed with a bow and arrow, um, and, and with a crossbow or a rifle should be celebrated. I mean, it's, it's, this is not easy. So I think right. that's, you know, practice, 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 you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think just the amount that that does for your confidence as a hunter and your confidence in yourself, because I think, you know, as everyone progresses through that journey of, you know, being a bow hunter or a crossbow hunter, or just a hunter in general, you have at some point a shot that goes wrong, right? You're going to make, you know, you're going to put one in the shoulder, you're going to hit them high, um, hit them low, hit them back, wherever it may be. Right. And I think the hunt after that or the next deer after you've had one of those little hiccups that's the hardest deer to kill man because you're and i mean i don't know if that goes for everyone but man i was so in my head for i mean the better half of probably close to two years honestly after i put a bad shot on this buck and i man i almost didn't want to bow hunt anymore because i just didn't trust myself you know but you know shooting more does and that's i think you know it's great meat (laughs) there's plenty of them in most places right and Mm -hmm. they flat out they they just yeah they just yeah maybe not northwood sorry guys well yeah (laughs) um but you know it's uh i mean they're 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 flat out the best target practice that you can get right and you get a meal out of it at the end of the day so yeah i i love what you said there like every single one of them should be celebrated i want to circle back here to our uh our herd management conversation. As I was flipping through some of your articles today, I wanted to, I knew I wanted to pick your brain about Ernebuck and chronic wasting disease. Um, I think everybody has seen Doug Duren's uh, count for the year. I think he had like what, 51 or 53% CWD positive um, of deer harvested on his property, but you know, did some awesome work and congratulations, Doug, for land manager of the year. That's phenomenal. Um, but I came across an article of yours where you were kind of unpacking EHD and CWD. And I can't remember if it was you or if it was you quoting someone else, but in the article it said that if EHD is a hornet's nest in the bush next to your front door. CWD is like the termites eating away at the foundation of your house. Can you elaborate on that a little bit in terms of just the severity that you're implying um, in that, uh, I guess, in that metaphor? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, a lot to unpack, right? EHD, right. <laughs> epizootic, temporary disease is the viral disease that goes crazy in spots like Iowa and places like that where the midge, it's a biting midge that um, infects the deer and they die typically within five to 10 days. It's nasty. They look terrible. They're found around water sources and they can just clear, I mean, wipe out a deer herd. That's mm-hmm. EHD. Obviously, CWD is a, a prion disease that affects, um, affects the brain and the nervous system and takes you know, 18 to 24 months to show outward signs of infection. 
Sure. Um, where I was born and raised outside of, uh, you know, in the Southwest Wisconsin area, we're kind of right in the middle of CWD. Um, and we've, I've personally had, um, I had to write it down because I've forgotten how many positives I've had. I have personally had, uh, five in a row test positive five, five deer in a row. And I've had seven of my own personal deer test positive, And we've had nine CWD positives on uh, the property I grew up on since 2019. So, um, it's a, it's a frustrating deal. Um, because there's so much, there's so much to unpack, right? Because CWD is the, um, the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. It's, uh, it's not outwardly very visible on the landscape. Um, although I will say this in 2023, in the spring, I had to, uh, to put down a deer that was super visibly sick. We assume it was CWD. It's the same property where we've had these nine positives since 2019, um, frothing at the mouth, super skinny. It had a bunch of bite marks all over its body. I'm not sure how it didn't die already from coyotes, but, um, my dad going up to Turkey hunt and we saw it just 10 yards in front of us, just standing there shaking and, you know, about ready to, dive and we assume of cwd so we called the dnr shot it uh got it out of its misery but they didn't want to test it just due to uh the resources and and they just have limited time to do stuff like that during the Mm -hmm. deer off season so unfortunately we we never knew if it had cwd but i i very much assume that it was in fact cwd um so it's a very it's a terrible disease i mean i grant woods um Growing deer TV, you're familiar with that. Um, you know, the metaphor, or what you explained in the beginning there, the, you know, it's like the termites eating away at the foundation. He kind of, he put it like this, and I used this quote in an article um, a couple of years ago. I mean, he said, CWD is a latent disease. Take this, for example. Smoking cigarettes has been proved to be harmful to human health, but the effects of smoking typically do not show themselves within the first 5, 10, maybe even 15, 20 years of smoking. Obviously, we know smoking is very terrible for you. Um, unquote. That's not he's <laughs> as far as uh, it's done there. But um, the point is, obviously, we know smoking is terrible, but the effects of it might not show themselves until you know, obviously, well down the road. Um, chronic wasting disease in whitetails is really no different. Um, it can take a long time for the disease to manifest itself. Um, a lot like smoking in humans. So it's, it's really tricky. Um, you know, it was discovered back in 2001 in Wisconsin, the state, you know, essentially everybody kind of freaked out. Right. I think, uh, I have it written down here, but I believe that license sales in 2002. Yes. With this, with the discovery of CWD in Wisconsin in 2001, license sales dropped 10% the following year. So that's a big, I mean, there was a lot of deer hunters back in 2001. That is no small number to lose 10% of your deer hunters. So, um, CWD, I think is, you know, it's, (laughs) I get a lot of, I get a lot of hate and I've, um, you know, I've kind of stopped writing about CWD a little bit here because I just, you know, me personally, I get tired of it. I mean, I've mm-hmm. had a bunch of CWD positives. It's really tricky after you shoot a deer because you uh, you want to butcher it right away and um, or you want to um, 
you know, I take that meat home and get it. Yeah. Yeah. Get it to a processor. So you're either spending a bunch of your time um, that's going to maybe be wasted because it might test positive, or you might be wasting, you know, $100, $150 taking it to a processor only to, you know, throw that deer out. And, you know, I, I have three young kids. I'm not personally going to ever eat a CWD positive deer. I mean, I know people that, that have done it. Um, people that don't test their deer, that's everyone's, you know, choice and prerogative. But me personally, I'm, I'm not going to choose to eat a CWD positive deer. So we, we do throw them out, unfortunately, which is a really difficult thing to do. Um, but, in, you know, when you, when you talk about CWD, it's, uh, there's another interesting point that somebody from the DNR made to me as well. Um, Jasmine Batten, she's, uh, I'm not sure of her title. I didn't write that down. She's with the Wisconsin DNR, Jasmine Batten. She told me this, quote, it is increasingly clear to me that legislation, legislation alone isn't enough to move the needle on CWD. At the end of the day, it's really about people and whether or not we are willing to collectively rethink our relationship with deer and deer management. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, the legislation alone isn't going to solve this. It's truly, um, it's the deer hunter and it, mainly it's the private land deer hunter, right? Because as right. you know, many of these states are 90 to 98% private lands. I mean, public land hunting in the U.S. mainly exists west of the Mississippi. Dakota, Montana, Colorado, you know, New Mexico, Idaho, all those states. I mean, that's where the bulk of public land hunting uh, resides. And so I thought Jasmine's quote about um, you know, legislation alone not being enough to move the needle on CWD was really interesting. Um, and I don't, I don't know that there's a one, one size fits all answer. Um, obviously, Wisconsin tried the herd eradication technique um, back in the early 2000s. They tried, you know, the herd reduction zones and all that stuff. Um, that hasn't really been working. <laughs> um, right. We still have, uh, you know, super high CWD rates. I, I wrote down a couple numbers here. Um, uh, Dane County. Let me see what this was here. Uh, no, Richland County. I got a stat here. So in 2002 or 2022, Richland County tested nearly 1,400 deer, 375 tested positive. That's a 27% positive rate. 2023 in Richland County, um, just under 1,300 deer tested. So a little bit fewer deer tested. 381 positives, 30% positive rate. Um, all time in the state, as of 2023, 316,000 deer tested all time in Wisconsin throughout all counties, 12,550 positive, a rate of 3.96%. So obviously throughout the entire state, that's a really low positive rate, but we right. have these pockets of terrible CWD outbreaks, much like we have pockets of terrible deer numbers up north in the northern half of the state um and that kind of goes back to my point of wisconsin being an extremely difficult state to manage deer in yeah. um, you know we have feed baiting legal and only i think it's now 15 of wisconsin 72 counties because sheboygan county just a couple weeks ago um got a positive uh, deer on a deer farm i believe so i think it's uh, 15 counties only 
can legally feed bait. Um, you know, and, and to that, I, I say, why not just make it illegal or illegal throughout the entire state? Right. Can we just, you know, can we just be done with, uh, with trying to dance around? Well, we haven't had a positive yet there. It's coming, but we haven't mm-hmm. had one yet. So you could still feed, um, you know, and that's where I'm a, a little critical of, of some of these regulations where it's like, let's just make it illegal or legal. Right. Um, why, why wait not, it out? Why risk it? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's only legal in 15 of the Wisconsin, 72 counties. Um, there's a CWD bill that got passed recently. I think it was last year that is going to provide $70 million each year through 2028. Um, so there's, you know, Doug Duran, you mentioned him earlier. I, I talked with Doug all the, you know, not all the time, but quite a bit. We've had, had some conversations because he obviously tests his property pretty heavily mm-hmm. for CWD as do we. Um, and his mantra is, you know, buy time, pay for science. And, uh, there's really not much else you can do. I mean, it's, uh, if right. you couldn't up a worse disease for deer, um, you know, they get, they get it. They, they groom each other. They're obviously breeding. They're hitting licking branches. They're, you know, urinating and all sorts of stuff. And yeah. throughout the landscape and deer are, deer are going to be deer, right? They're, they're going to be animals. And there's really no way to stop that contact, um, uh, between deer. Um, and so it's, it's a terrible disease. It's something that we definitely need to keep monitoring and, and whatnot, but, I hope we find, you know, within the next, you know, 20, 30, 50 years, whatever it is, if we can ever find a cure for, for CWD, which it doesn't look like there's any promise of that. I hope we've kind of over, overstated how important it is. I say that really carefully though, because, you know, we can't, we can't say that now. It's a really serious thing. It's, uh, it's long-term you know, way worse than EHD. Any wildlife biologist will tell you that. Um, right. While he is the immediate killer, CWD is by far the larger problem. Um, and I just hope that down the road we can we can find a solution for it and say, okay, whew, you know, that wasn't that wasn't so bad. But at this point, that doesn't look promising at all. So it's uh, it's here to stay, and it's it's spreading and you know, when you, not many people are finding infected deer out there on the landscape, but I, I have found that one turkey hunting and it was, uh, it was a terrible situation. I mean, I, uh, I wish somebody could have been there with me to see that deer you know, shaking and yeah. frothing at the mouth and yeah. just about ready to tip up because yeah, of man, I mean, I guarantee that that was, but it was, uh, it was a really terrible sight to see. And, um, I don't have all the answers. All I know is we uh, just got to keep going out there hunting and enjoying our pastime. That's, that's all we can do. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's really, really unsettling when you do see one that's that close to death from it and you see how bad a shape it really is. I came across one last spring as well when I was uh, out trout fishing in the, in the driftless region and I was just working up a, a little riffle and I heard some slurping and I was like, what the heck? Cause I, you know, I had my head down, I was watching my fly and, you know, looking for 
for yeah. fish and all that stuff just locked in and i heard this slurping eventually and i kind of looked around i didn't really pay any attention took another couple steps and i heard a twig snap and i looked up and i had this doe probably 35 yards upstream from me same exact thing that you said man i mean just like you could counter ribs she just looked terrible foaming at the mouth shaking like wow. crazy and uh it's uh man is it it is unsettling when when you actually come across one like that i'm uh it is it, sorry it made the hair on the back of my neck up. i mean yeah right it did it, it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up i oh i had that like that doom feeling i can't yeah, describe it your stomach. it was the weirdest thing it did it just took me away i was like oh my gosh right there that's a sick deer like this is right. crazy i've shot you know how many positive deer like seven myself mm-hmm. that had ended up testing positive after killing them and they all looked healthy um but it was something else to see it up close in person and like i said i i can't guarantee it was cwd um because we didn't get it tested but it you know i pretty good bet. can't imagine it was right it was crazy yeah man what you said there too about the baiting it got me thinking about just it seems like this bill as a whole kind of falls into this category but from the the standpoint of deer management and i know like you've said countless times uh on our episode here just wisconsin's such a tough state to manage deer in because it's just so diverse and it's so dynamic with the different struggles that it's um you know experiencing and dealing with across the state i mean they're just totally i mean north and south part of the state it's just an entirely different you know environment right but it seems like with the the feed or the the baiting issue it seems like a lot of decisions and maybe it's just because of the speed at which things get done right because everything you know everything takes time to get approval and to get you know backing and you know signatures and all that stuff but it seems like this bill is a very and you know waiting for waiting for that positive CWD test to finally stop baiting. These are all reactive measures rather than proactive measures. And so I think you know you you hit it right on the head there that it falls on the public land or the private landowners to really do their part for managing the deer herd in their area. It makes me nervous too for just thinking about the um you know the southern farmland region and stuff. I mean it's no secret that farming like hunting is kind of on the decline right now, right? And, you know, you you start to think about, okay, well, I know so-and-so, he's got, you know, a couple hundred acres down the road from, uh, you know, where I hunt, or he's got 40 acres, what whatever it may be or whatever. Well, he's getting pretty old. Yeah, his kids don't live around here. Um, I don't even know if he's getting out to hunt as much anymore, stuff like that. It makes you wonder what's going to happen with all this land as you know, time moves on. And quite frankly, just, you know, we, we've talked about it with, I mean, we talked about it with Kent Boucher last week. We talked about it with Doug Duren uh, a couple months ago. You know, the the small family farm that used to, you know, just dot the the southern portion of the state, they're, they're getting fewer and far between, right? And just management. Oh, yeah. so it, it's just, you know, it something's going to have to, going to have to happen here. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with all that land as, you know, children of farmers decide, eh, you know, I really don't want to continue farming, you know, like dad did or like grandpa did, or 
you know, I don't know what we're going to do with all this, you know, with, with 200 acres of cropland, none of us farm anymore. So like, what do we do here? And so it's just, uh, it's something that, I mean, yeah. one, if you're somebody looking to buy yeah. land, get to be buddies with a, <laughs> with a neighboring yeah, yeah. landowner or something, but it's interesting that you, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm actually, um, I'm writing an article about kind of the big business of hunting and hunting media and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. land prices are something I'm including in that article. And it's super interesting because um, in the county I grew up in, nearly 60% of the landowners don't live in the county. They're absentee yeah. landowners. Um, and I, I have some really good quotes from Aaron Warburton from the hunting public on this topic. So I'll save it for the article because it's going to be published here somewhat soon. Um, but I'll tease it with, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, they're, the small farmer, they're disappearing. I mean, though they don't, they can't make row cropping on 80 or a hundred acres work. I mean, if right. they don't have thousands of acres to row crop and cash rent, I mean, they're not going to, they're not going to farm. They're not going to do that anymore. And so they're going to, the land prices are good right now. They might sell their land. Um, they might, you know, lease it out or whatever they're doing with it. Right. I mean, farmland is, uh, um, obviously if it's just row crop farmland, they, you know, they might not lease that out for hunting, but I mean, if they're selling it, I mean, they're selling it to those people who don't live in the County. Right. And, uh, typically, I mean, I don't want to pick on a certain group, but typically it's going to a person who's, you know, maybe a little bit more wealthy from a, even from a different state who can afford that. And then that, you know, that's essentially, it's just going to keep driving up the prices of, of land in that area. Not right. always, but that's only occurred for sure. Um, and so it makes it really tricky on the local farmer to make things work. And unless you're working for a factory farm, I mean, um, just a mom and pop um, farm doesn't, uh, doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, my, uh, my great grandparents, they farmed in, in Richland County for a long time. I mean, they could never afford land right now. Right. Um, they, they just simply could not afford it. They would never be able to buy anything. Um, and I think that's really sad. Um, that's a whole different topic, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, you hit on it and I, I very much agree with it. It's, uh, the demise of the local farmer is, um, kind of a sad thing. Right. Yeah, man, I'm getting pretty sick of, uh, all the Chicagoans coming down and buying up our land or coming up and buying our land. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> not, not just the Chicagoans, but that's who, Oh, I, I know what you mean. I'll, I know what you mean. I'll blame whatever I can on the fibs, man. I don't know, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> well, man, so we've covered a lot here this evening. Um, and I think like the, the main takeaway is, well, there's a couple of them with this proposed hiatus on doe harvest in the north region it's not all bad right something's got to be done is this the best way we could go about it not quite sure but one thing that is apparent and that is you know for certain is wisconsin's a really tough state to manage because it's so diverse just across the board right I want to ask you this before we wrap up, because I know we've been going for a while. As a whole, I guess as a state, 
managing deer. What do you think we're getting right and what do we need to improve on? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think there just needs to be more of a balance, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think with everything, you know, like just a lot of things in life, you know, balance, you come back to balance, right? There has to be a happy medium to this. Right. And I think there's got to be, I don't think, you know, these people that are in favor of a wolf hunt and all that stuff, if it were to be allowed again, they don't want the wolves gone. I don't want the wolves gone either. I mean, they have right. a place in the landscape. They, you know, have a, they should be there just like everything else, but they need to be managed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's that happy medium of them needing to be managed. Habitat needs to be managed better. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it comes down to just striking a balance. And I think the, um, the DNR has to work with citizens and lawmakers have to be more reasonable. Um, and it, you know, it comes, comes down to reasonableness, reasonableness and a, a sense of balance to all this stuff is kind of where we need to get to. And, uh, the process is to do all that. Um, you know, I don't have all the answers, but right. you know, I, I look at the baiting thing. I mean, let's just, I mean, just, can we just ban baiting? <laughs> like just, right. just ban it for the whole state. Just get rid of it. And then there's not this, Oh, who's next? You know, mm -hmm. um, little things like that, that just kind of, you know, why are we doing it this way? Um, and so, you know, it's a really tricky thing. It's, uh, it's going to take, you know, people not pointing fingers at each other. Um, and, uh, less bickerings, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. But that's a, that's a really good question, Pierce. And I, gosh, I just, I don't really know how to answer that too specifically other than mm -hmm. just more common sense balance and people working together. Um, you know, like, uh, as you guys know, I'm sure you talked about it on the podcast with Doug Duran, but you know, he has that sharing the land program, that's just, yeah. just awesome that create, you know, the access seekers, um, you know, perform some, you know, habitat do, uh, work in exchange for access, stuff like that. Just creative ideas that we can get people on more land, enjoying hunting, um, not having to buy land or lease it or whatever. They just want to see deer and hunt. Right. Programs like that, um, you know, it's uh, those are all good things to kind of bring us back to that that balance and that equilibrium of trying to like get back to why we do this, you know. Um, but it all comes back to balance to me. And uh, I, you know, there's I don't have a whole lot of specifics on how that exactly happens, but I think just some low hanging fruit things of you know getting rid of baiting, um, let uh, let hunters, you know, I, the CDAC thing, I come back to that because it's, it's really tricky because with the CDACs handing out free doe tags, um, by handing out the free doe tags, they essentially tell you, you know, Hey, we want to increase the herd, decrease the herd or keep it the same. You right. can hand out as many doe tags as you want with each license. You know, if you buy one in Richland County, you might get four tags, like I said, or Brown County, to, you know, Dane County to whatever it is, people aren't going to just fill doe tags because you give them the tags, right? right? I mean, we've talked about people aren't shooting does like they used to because they want their bucks. They're feeling like they're walking on pins and needles. Um, but we all have a part in managing this herd. And I think it just, it's a, it's a balance that um, is hard to come by when the state 
and the CDAC committees don't have the tools in their arsenal to be able to actually manage the herd, right? right. I think Ernabuck would be would Ernabuck would be a great um, policy to be able to implement on a yearly basis and just on mm-hmm. a needs basis. So, say in 2024, hey, this county, Iowa County, Dane County, Sauk County, or wherever we're at, Buffalo County, you guys had a lot of does last year. Um, how about this year we go earn a buck and then we'll reevaluate for next year. You know, I think stuff like that would be just really good to bring up to the table, um, to have be an option for, for the DNR to implement on a yearly basis and just more common sense. Um, and just trying to not make this thing more difficult than it needs to be, but it's tricky because, uh, politics plays a role and, um, whatever that is in the picture, it's, it can be a really difficult thing to manage. Um, right. But good question. That's so one you, that's definitely one to ponder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Ernabuck was written out of law. So does that mean they can never bring it back? It would have to be it would have to be signed back into law by politicians. Okay. Yep. Huh. Yep. The DNF have the po- the power to bring that back. It would have to be signed back into law. Dang. Um, so it's a very, huh. um, it's a very trippy. I mean, you know, at the signature of a pen, uh, Wisconsin, their best deer management tool got signed out of law. Essentially, right. I mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't always super popular, and it was it's tricky too. Just like the Northwoods, uh, the ban for doe hunting, it's it's potentially kind of like that, where it's right. Know, people aren't going to be happy about it, but giant buck walked by and they couldn't shoot it because they had to shoot a doe first. Well, they yeah. didn't see a doe first and you know that. Eh. So I get it. I mean, I, I understand that it's, it's all really tricky stuff and that's where I go back to, there just you know, has to be common sense and, and balance to everything. And so it's, uh, I don't always know what that looks like. It's, uh, it's really tricky. That's why I'm not, not working for the state. Or uh, or working for any agency because I don't I don't have all the answers either. Either those people are you know they're just doing what they can with what they have you know. Right. I'm curious too, and this is my final question here. Well, second to final question. What do you think would be a viable incentive to get more people to harvest does? Yeah, I mean you know back in. Uh, the 2000s and late 90s we had the bonus buck right um, yeah yeah i can't remember exactly how you know where that was capped at if you shot like you know i don't i don't think it was where you can you know we shot three does you get three bucks i mean i don't think it was that right um and i need i need to kind of get a refresher on that as well but mm-hmm. some sort of uh you know if you really want to reduce cwd for example bonus buck would be a great way to do that um, yeah it's fact that more bucks uh, bucks are more likely to carry cwd than does i mean that's just a fact by testing um i don't know that i would agree with it that i think it's a good thing but it would be certainly a way to actually combat cwd is by you know implementing like a bonus buck where you keep shooting does you get a buck tag you shoot a doe you get a buck tag like i said i don't know that i'd agree with it and that i'd actually want it to want it to pass but um you know, those are those are certainly things that could be um, that could work, and uh, actually at the same time take on you know uh, disease a little bit more effectively. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely, man. Yeah. Oh, I like that idea. I forgot about bonus buck. Here I am sitting about or sitting here thinking about um, uh, Doug's doe derby that he had this year for every antlerless CWD entry was uh, an entry for a raffle. <laughs> like Bonus yeah. buck's a, a much more, uh, I guess, widespread solution uh, to that potential problem. But, um, well, man, yeah. we've been going for over an hour now, I know. Um, I know you're at a trade show this week and I want to make sure you're well rested for that and all that, dude, I appreciate you coming on and sharing all your knowledge and just input on this stuff so much. This was absolutely phenomenal. Where can folks go to find some of your pieces and, uh, follow along with, with the work that you're doing? Yeah. Thanks Pierce. So, um, good to be on with you. I really enjoyed it. So I'm on Instagram. Um, people can follow me there at uh, P Anir, so it's um, P A N N E A R at P Anir on Instagram. Um, they can keep up with me there. I post my articles, like a screenshot of it from time to time, and then I'll, uh, you know, have you have people uh, follow the link in my bio and whatnot. So yeah, you can keep up with my writing there, um, see what I'm kind of doing, and then uh, you know, if uh, people are really interested in the past work. Um, they can Google my name or go to my link tree and uh, kind of look at some of the articles I've I've done in the past. But um, no, I really enjoy uh, chatting with you. I enjoy reporting and kind of writing on this stuff. Um, it's a lot of fun for me because it uh, I'm passionate about it. I'm really passionate about deer, um, about the people that chase the deer, and uh, and all of it just as a whole. I, I really enjoy the hunting community and getting to know. Uh, more people like yourself that are passionate about it. It's uh, it's awesome. So I'm I was uh, very happy to join you, and it was uh, it was good chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. Thank you again. I mean, and folks, I mean, really do, I mean, do yourself a favor and just go check out some of Paul's articles because they really are just fantastic. You will learn an absolute ton. Um, I was just scrolling through all the ones that you had on bowhunting.com this morning, and I was, I mean, I learned plenty i mean a lot on just what we talked about today but i mean you've got you know i think what was the your most recent one it was like why your bow season sucked yeah yeah that was just got posted <laughs> i wrote that up back in december when i was okay, uh, yeah. a little bit of a low point and i figured i could uh help some people if they had a bad season as well but um no i i love writing about this stuff and i take a lot of take a lot of pride in trying to gather the facts and and just bring a yeah, I mentioned it before with um, the laws throughout the state. Bring a balance to, to all this and not take, I don't like to take sides. I don't like to uh, criticize one group over another. I like to bring um, a lot of balance and fairness to my articles. And I hope uh, I hope people enjoy them and, and can see, see that I put that work in and um, that they learn something and maybe it can even help them out. So yeah, that's, absolutely. that's kind of my goal. Absolutely. Well, I think folks are going to get a lot of that from uh, just this conversation here and getting a taste of what you're all about and getting to listen to you speak on all these topics and just the, the breadth of knowledge you have on the subject. So really, man, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, folks, go check out some of his work. Paul, we'll talk to you soon. 
That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.